From the windows, doors, and more studios, your one-stop shop for all your kitchen and bath needs. The Pat Miller Program. Whoa, whoa. 92.3 FM and 1190 AM. Depend on it. And welcome back, everybody, as we continue through our Saturday midday sojourn together. As always, he used to be with us every week on our daily program, was always there on Tuesdays, and now he's here every Saturday from Real Clear Politics, the conservative place to go online if you want to know what's happening. And we do there with Philip Wegman. Philip, good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me, Pat. Now, my understanding is, because I had had scratched down a few things that I wanted to talk with you about, one of them was Nikki Haley, and my understanding is just yesterday you came out of a roundtable discussion with said Nikki Haley. So was that a quickly called meeting? Uh, was it something that's pretty thorough? Was it, I'm getting out, I'm staying in? Tell me what happened with Ms. Haley. Yesterday morning in Washington, D.C., Nikki Haley invited a small group of reporters to a roundtable discussion. She's here in the area campaigning in Virginia. So she hopped across the uh, Potomac to talk to the press and answer a pretty basic question, which is how long is she going to stay in this race, given that she's lost the, the first three states by pretty significant margins? And her answer to us in that room is that she was going to stay in this thing as long as she remained competitive. That's almost a, a verbatim quote. But Pat, I don't have to tell you, uh, it, it, when you're losing um, by double digits yeah. in each of these states, the definition of competitive is very significant. And N- Nikki Haley danced around that issue. Um, in fact, when I pressed her uh, on one of her talking points, which is that 70% of the country doesn't want a rematch between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And I asked Nikki Haley if that is true and if the country wants an alternative, why isn't that translating to more support for her in the primaries? She turned it around and said that the problem was that the media was spending too much time focusing on Donald Trump and not on the race, and that the former president had been extremely lucky in all manner of things from press coverage to how some of his legal controversies have played out. This was Nikki Haley uh, probably at her most honest, and uh, this was Nikki Haley very much in the last hour. She lost in South Carolina. She's got an uphill battle on Super Tuesday. Um, Yeah, good question you said. It was exactly what I was going to have you ask, and then you answered it. Exactly what is our current definition of competitive? Uh, But at the same time, when she says she wants to be in it, as long as she's viable, as long as, well, aren't double-digit losses, especially in the state where you were governor and a rather popular governor, isn't a double-digit loss kind of significant? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you said it, Pat, and all of the reporters in that room were looking at the primary results. No one was under any illusion that Nikki Haley is about to uh, pull ahead of Donald Trump anytime soon. But what the former ambassador brought as evidence of uh, enthusiasm for her was pretty significant. She broke some news yesterday when she noted that in February she had raised $12 million. And so the question is, um, yes, she has been able to attract a sizable minority of the GOP 
in these primaries, um, around 40 percent in uh, in New Hampshire, for instance, uh, a similar number um, in South Carolina. If she's able to attract that dissident voice from the GOP, but she's not able to get over the hump, um, is she going to take this to a floor fight in the convention? Uh, she wouldn't say. Is she going to, you know, uh, continue to be a, you know, GOP voice uh, for, you know, the soul of the conservative movement? Um, she didn't really detail a lot of her plans. She was focused on Super Tuesday. But the one thing that was very significant is that uh, there's been a lot of chatter from this group, No Labels, that is trying to mount a third-party bid to challenge both Trump and Biden. And Nikki Haley in that boardroom, she shot that down incredibly decisively, and her reason was telling. She said that No Labels was a no, non-starter for her because one of their conditions is that she would have to accept a Democratic vice president and according to Haley, she couldn't do what she wants to in the White House if she had to share it with a Democrat. Well, and, and kudos to her for at least saying that much. Um, th- look, I, I this is pure supposition on my part. And you know I never do that because I never give my opinion about anything. But, <laughs> um, the only thing I can imagine, because... It's not just like a double-digit loss. It's a double-digit after a double-digit after a double-digit. And it just keeps racking up there. Do you think that somehow she feels, or maybe even she hopes, something will happen to Donald Trump relative to his uh, legalistic problems and the problems within the judiciary, that something will will sideline him, and so then she thinks that she will be the the obvious one to step forward, which I think that's also a stretch. I don't see any problem with somebody reaching back for a DeSantis or even a Vivek Ramaswamy should Donald Trump uh, be sidelined. Um, but I, I don't see any plausible way that she can move on. Donald Trump Jr. said when asked, well, what if Nikki Haley were to be picked as your father's running mate? He basically said something about an ice cube stands a better chance in the bowels of Hades than Nikki Haley as Donald Trump's running mate. So, so what, 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 what do you think? This is pure supposition, and I get it. I'm not holding you to this. What do you think her motivation is? Yeah, I mean, look, I filed a story for Friday morning before I walked into this, uh, this press conference, and it rubbed the Haley campaign the wrong way because one of my sources— a former GOP operative who was very familiar with her thinking before she launched a presidential bid, this source told me that as things stand now, Nikki Haley's not building a movement to defeat Donald Trump. Instead, she's lying in wait for some sort of disaster to befall him. Now, the Haley campaign, they push back hard against that. And publicly, they are very much of the opinion that uh, they just need her message to resonate and then she'll be off to the races. But that has got to be in the back of their minds because uh, Trump has so many political and legal liabilities that who knows what the future might hold. Um, You know, perhaps he is sidelined. That's absolutely part of the calculus. She didn't tip her hand when we were peppering her with questions. But one thing that I found very interesting is that Nikki Haley is not blind to the fact that 
or to the reasons why a lot of Trump's voters are sticking with him. You know, she laid it out in black and white in that boardroom, and she said that a lot of Trump supporters, folks who he brought into the party when they felt unheard and unseen, they were now sticking with him because they saw that he fought for them, and they feel that they need to now fight for him. And that, that, that was very clear. It was, it was you know, an acknowledgement of a reality. But her warning was, if you stick with Trump, yes, he can potentially win a Republican primary, but he cannot beat Biden in the general election. And her warning was that if Biden wins, that's the surest way to get President Kamala Harris for four years. Oh, please. I just, <laughs> that makes my blood run cold. Uh, we got a minute left. We're talking to Philip Wegman from Nuclear Politics. Philip, about how many journalists were there of you in that boardroom with her? And do you think anybody came out of that boardroom thinking that she had changed the course of anything? There were about a dozen or so journalists. I think that um, if I had done a poll, which I didn't, we probably uh, would be under the um, the sort of same thought, which is, you know, this is not just, you know, an underdog. Uh, this is the definition of an underdog. Mm-hmm. And there needs to be a, you know, a, a seismic change here for her to be competitive. But, um, you know, one thing that struck me for the hour-long conversation is that no one except for Nikki Haley asked a single question about policy. This thing had nothing to do about policy, not national security, not the southern border, not uh, fiscal policy. Instead, every reporter in that room, I think with the exception of one who asked about uh, in vitro fertilization and the controversy there, they all asked about Donald Trump, about what Donald Trump is doing to the Republican Party. And I've got to tell you that Nikki Haley is accurate in one thing, and that is that our corporate press is obsessed with the man that, uh, you know, they ostensibly very much dislike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they hate him, and yet they think he's going to be the candidate. Philip, for your time today, sir, I appreciate you very much. Thank you. Hey, thank you, Pat. This is the Pat Miller Program on WoWo, 92.3 FM at 1190 AM, and on the WoWo app. And welcome back. And again, our thanks to Philip Wegman from Inside the Beltway for Real Clear Politics. Philip Wegman, of course, is there with Real Clear, and he is their White House correspondent. Um, And then uh, he is often in a lot of other external uh, situations beyond the White House. For example, those looking to perhaps reside in the White House, uh, namely, um, you know, the information that he had from his Nikki Haley meeting that they had uh, earlier this week, uh, where she called a real quick impromptu meeting. There were only about 11 or 12 of them there inside that boardroom meeting with Nikki Haley. And uh, he seems to think that she's in it for the long haul. Uh, You know, well, you know, all power to her. And when he talked about the number of monies that she has raised uh, or created that that in February that she had raised twelve million dollars that that floored me a little bit. Um, people don't throw money at somebody because they've got nothing else to do. They either believe in it that even if they don't think that they can win, they want to stand with that person because they want to um, they they want to make a statement. They want to take a stand for what's going on, 
or they're going and they're giving the money because they think somehow something's going to happen in the next month or two to greatly shift the landscape and that she might become more a player than she is now. I have no inside information on that. None. Zero. Uh, I have no idea what could be happening, but I appreciate uh, Philip keeping us up on that. Let me go one step further. Uh, there are a couple of pieces I read this week. One of them came out earlier in the week. It was either Monday or Tuesday. Rick Santorum, former uh, uh, senator from Pennsylvania, but Rick Santorum had some comments in a piece in Newsmax, along with a few others. And their thought is that Democrats are stuck with Joe Biden as their nominee unless he doesn't want to do it. Now, in in the articles that I read, they're dismissing some speculation that Democrats may look to replace Biden with California Governor Gavin Newsom, which kind of seems to be one of the main back and forth that's being argued uh, on all sides. Um, Santorum and some others, they don't think that's it. They don't think that the Democrats are looking to replace Biden unless Biden is looking to step away in and of himself. Now, Biden recently went to California. He had this multi-day fundraising trip that he did out there in California, and that sparked rumors that Democrats may, in fact, consider Newsom as a possible replacement. Well, I don't think there's any question that Gavin Newsom has been going out of his way putting himself in a position, defending a record, talking about how Joe Biden has been adding jobs. In other words, making Joe Biden look good, complimenting Joe Biden at the same time. And this is a tough dance to do. Compliment Joe Biden at the same time you're trying to make yourself look good. So if there's any kind of a reason that we can't consider Joe Biden, hey, here I am, Gavin Newsom, and I'm ready to do what we need to do. Um Santorum had said, we're coming out of a forced government lockdown. Any president was going to add jobs, which, which was a, a jump back against Newsom talking about how the president was had been adding jobs. Okay, let me just say this. Jobs were added. They were not, as the president consistently reminds us, new jobs. These were jobs where people had been walking away or put away because of the pandemic. Some of those jobs reopened, and a lot of those people have gone back. Those are not new jobs. These are just ridiculous assertions. The economy, by every every estimate that I can read and I can find, Wall Street Journal, uh, the Daily Mail, all the places you might look, to say that the economy is really, really, really coming back is just ridiculous. It's not doing well, particularly for the people who are most hurt, by the lockdowns. Newsom is just doing nothing but trying to be a good soldier for Democrats. Hey, guys, I'm holding up the president's arms. I'm talking about what a great job he's doing, even with jobs. That's me. I'm the guy standing in there with the slick back hair. I'm holding up his arms. I'm being the good soldier. Basically what he's doing, he's teeing himself up as the potential switch at the convention. But the bottom line is this. Even if they get all the way to the Democrat convention, if Biden doesn't want to step away, they are stuck with Joe Biden. I don't think you can force Biden out. I think at some point he has to willingly go. 
This is not going to be with a bunch of people from Congress going, okay, Mr. President, this is it. We've done all that we could do. It's time for you to go. This will not be accomplished by a busload of Democrats from the Senate and a busload of Democrats from the House showing up one afternoon for tea at the White House. This will be this will be done through a series of visits in dark vans and sedans at the White House, like at 10 o'clock at night, 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, these will have to be meetings that happen under the cover of darkness when people like Philip Wegman and others aren't hanging around the White House to see who's arriving and not arriving. Biden has to be willing to go. He has to be willing. Here's the thing that the Democrats are up against. They don't want him because his constituency, they don't want him either. But they can't go in there and grab his arm and shove it up between his shoulder blades and say, Mr. President, it's time to go. First of all, you've got, you've got his wife Jill in there swinging left and right, talking about how he's the greatest president ever. Look, in the midst of all this, I'm switching channels here, but in the midst of all this Hunter Biden and the money and blah, 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 don't forget, Jill Biden is in the middle of all that, too. And Joe Biden, when she sees the possibility that Joe Biden may not continue as president, then here's something else she knows. If the world comes to know that, whatever money they have ready to uh, whatever they have ready to be put in place uh, with him being gone, it's going to come really, really fast if the world comes to know that the uh, Joe Biden presidency is coming to a halt. Okay. Other than that, I don't think you can force Biden out. He has to be willing to go. And if he's got delegates committed to him, okay, enough of them to win the nomination and he doesn't want to leave, they're stuck. What would make Joe Biden want to leave? If all at once Jill comes and sits down and she pats him on the knee and says, Joe, honey, there's not going to be enough of a delegation to get us through. This, for all practical purposes, is over. We need to step away. We we need to realize that it's done. If they wait too long, they'll try to grab Gavin Newsom at a time that's far too late. I mean, the primaries have already begun, but it's still early enough that there could be a switcheroo done here, but not if he keeps hanging on. And how much is he hanging on? Why is he hanging on? Look, I got to be honest with you. If I were Joe Biden and I would have I was having some of the cognitive difficulties that Joe Biden is having, I'd be looking for an exit. An exit with dignity. That's really what a guy like Biden wants. Give me an exit with dignity. And I'm not sure this is it. If they can give him a reason and if Biden can see for himself because it'll have to be his decision, even if they have to put everything on teleprompters and he has to read it word for word and make it sound like it's his decision, this will not be an easy slug for him. Biden still sees himself back in the day riding the trains back and forth to his home district. He still sees himself standing in the well of the Senate, slugging it out. He still sees himself standing shoulder to shoulder with Ted Kennedy, fighting for the policy. Those days are gone. They're done. Now he stands there looking blankly into a camera, begging for lines for him to say 
where he can sit there and defend a policy he can't even remember. It needs to be a decision that sounds like it hits, it's his own, even if it's not. But it's got to come quickly. More after this quick break. And welcome back. On this Saturday, let's now go. We've talked to people in, in Washington, D.C., Capitol Hill. Let's move down to the State House. Representative from uh, Indiana's 81st, Martin Carbaugh, is there. Uh, Martin, good afternoon. good afternoon to you, my friend. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm, I'm doing very, very well. Thank you very much for making time to be with us on a Saturday as we try to uh, get get in on all that's going on. Now, before we get into specific things, are, let, let me just go through these. Are you still involved with the education uh, platform, the public health, and do you still chair the insurance uh, committee? Yes, that is my very busy workload. You got it right. I was going to say, those three right there could drive somebody brain dead. I mean, just... <laughs> I tell people I might as well be on Ways and Means during a budget session every year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, let me write that down. I'll talk to whoever needs to do that. So, um, but uh, have, so the you're you're within a week or two of this session, a shorter session uh, that will wrap up. Have you found this one to be as challenging as before? More challenging? Less challenging? This is not a budget year. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, we're not dealing with uh, the budget, but. Um, as with every session, there's there's going to be challenges. I don't know that – I think there's been more challenging sessions, but there are definitely very important issues both locally and statewide that we're dealing with. Well, I know that uh, in some when I wrote you and asked you, first of all, if you could be available, and thank you that you said yes. I appreciate that. Um, a couple of things that, that got me when you were talking uh, to me about what we might discuss – is helping out with the Veterans Memorial on O'Day Road, which I think out there on O'Day Road, in and around the time they unveiled the uh, the Korean War part of that display, I think that's the last time you and I actually laid eyes on each other and we saw you there. There's more happening out there, is there not? Yeah, there is. And um, they're trying to get a columbarium brought in so that they can um, give veterans an opportunity to buy niches for their final resting place amongst their fellow service brothers and sisters. And the state law is kind of getting in the way. Um, It makes sense for a full cemetery um, that they would be required to pay into what's called a cemetery perpetuation fund in case something were to happen, a company goes bankrupt, the state comes in and makes sure that those grounds are taken care of. That's what that's for. In this particular case, we're just we're not talking about burial plots across a huge you know acreage we're talking about a columbarium and mm. uh david mccomb was kind enough to donate that it's already built it's at the warehouse where they built it ready to ship but they aren't willing to ship it until they pay into this fund state law requires a hundred thousand dollars well this is a open to the public work on donations outfit and uh, they just don't have the money. And quite frankly, for a columbarium, the upkeep of a columbarium is maybe a power washing or two a year. It's not as extensive as a full cemetery. Right. So I crafted a bill. It passed the House. We, we made it very narrow. So this isn't going to open it up to a bunch of other opportunities. Uh, we want to help this crew out. These guys are fantastic out there and get them the opportunity to provide this really neat way of veterans being able to 
lay on those grounds, which is really becoming a hollow ground here in northeast Indiana for the entire state. Well, and, and from the time that they opened that out there on O'Day Road, which, folks, is just south of U.S. 30, uh, just out west of Fort Wayne. Uh, but it's it's a beautiful ground. And since they've started all this, you know, we've got the replica of the Vietnam Wall out there, which is pretty impressive. It's an 80% structure. We've got the Korean Memorial, which has opened. And there are other pieces that are being added all along the way. Uh, and it's it's amazing. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. I never thought about a burial section there, like, for example, where people from the Korean War could be buried with Korean and Vietnam with Vietnam. But what an amazing opportunity if, in fact, they can pull this off. Yeah, I think it would be great. Unfortunately, after it passed the House, it did not get a hearing in the Senate. Now, I did not get a clear indication that it didn't get a hearing because it was something that wasn't wanted, potentially. You know, it's a short session. We don't have a lot of time. So potentially there wasn't time for a hearing. It did go to the Appropriations Committee, which tends to get a lot of bills assigned to it. Um, But I'm working with our Senator, Justin Bush, who uh, also represents that area. And uh, Justin and I are trying to work on a path. There's still, with Conference Committee coming up this next week, there's still ways, there's still paths we can take to try to get this done this year for these guys. And I'm really hopeful that we're going to be able to do that. Um, can't make any promises, but we're going to do everything we can to get it done. Do you have any sense, uh, your take, that anybody is actually there at the state house opposed to this, or that maybe they just don't feel like they've had enough information that they could be full throated in favor of it? I haven't. I haven't been told directly that any elected official was opposed. I did have the cemetery association ask some questions about it they wanted i think they wanted to just make sure it wouldn't open things up across the entire state but it actually this bill would have an expiration date at the end of this year they would have to get it in place before the end of the year and i talked to the the guys out there and they said that shouldn't be a problem at all if we can get it passed so uh secretary association seemed to be okay with that they understand that this is not the same thing as a full-time right you know large cemetery so right. I don't think we'll have a lot of interruption if we can get this process done that I want to get done, but you never know. This the legislative process is a mystery. They talk about you know the sausage making and all that. It's that time of year, so that's why I can't make a promise, but I will promise uh, as much effort as I can. Well, and if it doesn't happen this time, I'm pretty sure you guys will hit it up again early next session to make sure this is not one of those things that dies on the vine. We're about halfway through our time together. We're talking to Martin Carbaugh. Uh, Representative Carbaugh, let me ask you this, because I know that you'd said uh, in the in the notes that you had sent me that one of the things that you're wanting to consider is to do some fixing, some tweaking on an anti-Semitism bill. There's probably no topic across the country right now that's getting more play than anti-Semitism. Where is that at in your mind? Well, it's in the Senate, and it's not really in a good place right now. Um, there, We passed this in years past, and it really deals with curriculum uh, in our schools and that it be not promote anti-Semitism. The language and how it was put together, some in the Senate were a little concerned with uh, things. I'm not. It passed out, I believe, unanimously. Well, no, there were some that weren't there to vote. But, um, but yeah, the ones that were there that voted, I'm pretty sure we were unanimous in the House. Okay. The Senate changed it in Education Committee to a, way, to a point now that I've heard from the Jewish community, they're opposed to the bill. And I've heard from... <laughs> 
basically the pro-Hamas community that they're okay with the bill. I feel like that's in the wrong place, Pat. Yeah, that that kind of makes you feel like the the uh, momentum is going the wrong way. Have they given you Certainly. any thoughts, uh, Martin, as to where some now are for it and some now are against it? What what the sticking points are? Well, you know, there's it it, it goes around with a national definition of anti-Semitism, and we in the House had referenced that definition and the senate apparently had concerns that well if they change the definition we'll have to come back and change the bill well we do meet every year i don't know why that's a big deal but because that's not referenced now all of a sudden it's it's almost a do-nothing bill and um i don't think that the senators that adopted the amendment in the education committee intended for that in fact i talked to some of them shortly after and I said, what happened with that? And they're like, well, we thought we had an agreement and that this was what we needed. But sometimes drafting errors happen and things. So I'm still very hopeful that we'll get this put back together. And last year it was interesting. It was a budget session last year. And, and we ended up uh, expanding voucher opportunities for more students and, and parents. And at one point there was no voucher expansion at all in the budget. So this isn't an uncommon thing to happen. You know, I caution listeners as you read newspaper articles and and see things online about where things are at now, just stay tuned. We're still working. We're not going to leave before we fix some of the major priorities that we want to get done. Well, and that's probably more than we could even hope to ask. Martin Carbaugh for this Saturday. Thank you very much, sir, for making yourself available. I'm sure we'll do it again at least once a month as we go forward through the balance of the year. But for your time today, thank you very much. Hey, thank you, Pat. Great to be on. This is the Pat Miller Program on WoWo, 92.3 FM and 1190 AM and at WoWo.com. And welcome back. Glad you guys are with us on this Saturday. Uh, Let's make this a habit, shall we? Every Saturday from noon to 3, let's meet. And remember, we're going to start podcasting the entire program. So if for some reason... You uh, you can't be here from noon to three. You should always be able, once the program is over, uh, to get to uh, wobo.com, uh, go to programs, find the Pat Miller program, and you should be able to find our podcast of the show. And you'll have everything in its entirety. And you can listen to it, go back and listen to parts again and again and again. If you're talking to somebody at church the next day, you say, hey, did you hear that part where Miller talked to Jim Banks or whatever? And they say, no, I miss it. Say, hey, well, listen, go here, and you can tell them how to find it, okay? And we'll we'll, uh, we'll make all that available for you each and every week. Remember, you could text me at 46862. That's 46862. Text the word WOWO first, and then your question or comment, and it comes right here. Or you can also email me, even after uh, the show's over and after I'm gone, you can always email me, Pat Miller, all one word, no dots or dashes, patmiller at wowo.com. Come. Well, I've talked a lot about the presidency and about the Democrats. Let's allow some of them to speak for themselves, shall we? I've got a few quotes here by Corinne Jean-Pierre, who my producer, uh, David Shea with a C, loves Corinne Jean-Pierre. Um, and I, I, in fact, I, I walked in this morning and he was in there with some others in the newsroom and they were just tattering on and they were talking about superlatives and greatness and brilliance. And I'm sitting here thinking, what are they talking about? And sure enough, David had stirred up a conversation about Corinne Jean-Pierre. Uh, so now she's <laughs> – just shake your head yes. So I think, yeah, you're buying into that, aren't you? Sure. Okay, now get this. The president doesn't need a cognitive test. He passes a cognitive test every day. 
as he moves from one topic to another topic. Okay, let me before we go on, I'm sorry. As soon as I read this, I thought, I've never seen him in the last six months move from one topic to another topic. I've never heard him move from the start of a topic to the end of the same topic. Okay? I mean, if this guy was giving you road directions on how to get from the radio station to Fort Wayne International Airport, okay, for some reason, he'd say, well, you know, when you, when you leave the building and you get in your car, you, you, you go out here and you pull out of the parking lot and you turn right unless your car's pointed in a different direction and then you might go left first. But if you go right and then when you go down to the highway, then you turn left unless you took the other direction we talked about. And you're actually going to take a back way where you actually turn right. But then you get on the main road, which some people think is the main road. And for some, it's not the main road. I remember a main road that I used to take all the time between Delaware and my seat at the U.S. Senate. And I remember the time that I used to ride that road with Martin Luther King Jr. And we, I mean, it would just get so convoluted. By the time it's done, he'd have you in Waynedale. Okay, and not even know how you got there. Well, I knew you wanted to get to Wayndale all along. No, but she says, okay, as he moves from one topic to another, this is a very rigorous job. And the president has been able to do this job every day for the past three years. Even the days, you know what it means when they put a lid on, right? When they say that they've put a press lid on, that means no more questions, no more releases, nothing after 2 o'clock today. That's it. Do you know that in the last four weeks— they have called 11 lids from the press room at the White House, 11 of them, just in the last three weeks. 11. At 9 in the morning? He's not even up at 9, is he? Oh, by the way, when the president gets up this morning, once he finishes his coffee and his cinnamon roll, uh, we're probably going to call a lid right then because, because he might be spent. She goes, and let's not forget... He is also leading a historic presidency. Let me read that whole quote again so Corinne Jean-Pierre won't feel slighted. This is what she said. The president doesn't need a cognitive test. He passes a cognitive test every day as he moves from one topic to another topic. This is a very rigorous job. And the president has been able to do this job every day for the past three years. And let's not forget, he is also leading a historic presidency. There are so many shortcomings in that quote. I'm not even going to go back through it. The president, she says, she continues, went to Brownsville, Texas, to hear directly from the Border Patrol agents, to hear directly from the frontline personnel. This is not about politics for the president. Okay, now I'm not trying to be a smart butt here. Okay, this is a serious question. This is the president who came in and said, on my first day in office, we are stopping the border wall. On my first day in office, we're shutting down, okay, the return to Mexico policy. We're, tur- we're, we're, we're shutting down 42. We're shutting all that down. And then for her to turn around and then to say, this is not about politics for the president, when this week the president, who got somewhere within sniffing distance of the border, said, we've got to begin having more Border Patrol agents. We've got to start building this wall. We've got to start securing this. I've been trying to do this all along, and we have to get this done. And then she's trying to tell me this isn't about politics? The heck it's not. What, what else could make somebody spin on a dime like that if it's not about politics and political fortunes? Corinne Jean-Pierre said, we have done the work to make sure we're dealing with a broken immigration system. Now, what she said was true. However, listen to what she said. We have done the work 
to make sure we're dealing with a broken immigration system. Yes, you're exactly right. That wasn't completely broken when you overtook it, but the way you've dealt with it, Miss Jean-Pierre, that is what you're left with. You're dealing with a broken immigration system. I would hope, she continues, I would hope the American people would see how serious this president is about fixing this immigration issue. Here's the test. If it gets fixed. If it gets fixed. That's how you know. Even the Washington Post, okay, the Washington Post came out and said, the economy is roaring. Immigration is a key reason. So you've got the economy trying to boost the president, according to the Washington Post. They want to say, the economy is flying. It is roaring. It's never been this good. Um, you might want to go back and look at some of the discussions we had earlier in the air. During the pandemic, this is Joe Biden speaking, states and cities saw violent crime rising. And their budgets were strained as they faced deep cuts in law enforcement and public safety. But we stepped up. Again. Again. The young lady down in Georgia. Mr. President, go tell her folks that, would you please? If you are so sure that you've stepped up properly, if you are so sure that your policies were the right ones at the right time, then please go down to Georgia and go down to the family of Lake and Riley, that young college student in her early 20s who was out there doing her daily jog and was murdered. Go tell them, please, that you've stepped up. Why has this president had to step up? Because not only did he come into office say, we're going to shut all this down, we're going to shut it all down, but we have to do it now because we're the same ones that pushed to fund the police. I mean, when Joe Biden came out yesterday and said public safety and crime reduction is a top priority for my administration and for me, and it has been for a long time, define long time. Long time since you took office? Long time for the last year of your presidency or a long time since Thursday at 2 o'clock? Define a long time because it doesn't feel like a long time for me. Coming up, our final hour of the day, we're going to visit with 3rd District Congressman Jim Banks and get his take on this and a few other things. And we do it all straight ahead right here on WoWo 92.3 FM and 1190 AM. Podcasts by Federated Media.